We were at the beginning of the chapter Sunday night, um, and now we're getting, now we're going to be at the end of the chapter, looking at the end of it. Um, this is the prophet Elisha. Uh, it's his life that this is in, and it's kind of early in his ministry. Um, you know, and this chapter four is just full of miracles that uh, he was able to do through the Lord, and then we're going to look at the last one of the chapter. Uh, but remember, Elisha, uh, he took over as prophet of God after Elijah was caught up into heaven uh, by the chariot of fire. That was in 2 Kings chapter 2. So we're just a couple chapters into Elisha taking over. Uh, and by this time, some of the miracles he had done was he healed the bitter water. Uh, he Remember, the we talked about the widow's oil that didn't fail. Uh, he promised a, a son to the Shunammite woman. She's the one that built the place for him or what a lot of people call the prophet's quarters uh, and then he just before this he had healed uh, the pottage that had poison in it he healed it and they were able to eat it so I want to look at the last three verses so it's second kings 4 uh, and verse 42 uh, through 44 it says this second kings 4 42 and there came a man from Baal uh, Baal Shalisha uh, and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and full ears of corn in the husk thereof. And he said, give unto the people that they may eat. And his servitor said, uh, what should I set before? Uh, should I set this before a hundred men? He said again, give the people that they may eat, for thus saith the Lord, they shall eat and shall leave thereof. So he set it before them, and they did eat and left thereof according to the word of the Lord. Lord, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for its truth. And Lord, I pray uh, that you would help us just with a few verses, Lord, tonight, uh, that you would open up our hearts and our minds. And Lord, uh, that the Holy Spirit would teach us tonight, uh, Lord, what you'd have for us. Help us to apply it to our life. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all things. Help me to preach tonight. And in Jesus' name we pray. And amen. amen. So, uh, again, this last miracle of the chapter, it's just three uh, short verses, and that doesn't always mean a short sermon. It may, it may not. We'll see. It's too early to tell. Uh, but you see this uh, yet another miracle in Elisha's life. So what we see uh, is this man comes from Baal uh, Shalisha, uh, and he's bringing these first fruits. So that's important when it says that. Uh, so to figure out what that means, one of the places you can go uh, is Leviticus 23. So this is an offering that he's bringing, this offering of first fruits. So Leviticus 23.10 gives the instruction, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye be come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf, of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you on the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And ye shall offer that day when ye wave the sheaf a he lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord. And the meat offering thereof shall be two tenth deals of fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savor. And the drink offering thereof shall be of wine, the fourth part of a hen. 
And ye shall uh, eat neither bread nor parched corn nor green ears until the selfsame day that ye have brought an offering unto your God. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. So what, what he's saying here is if you, uh, uh, when you're farming just before you would harvest, a lot of times what would they do? They'd have a harvest kind of a party. They would celebrate you know, a lot of times you're living uh, off of the previous harvest. Uh, so the leanest time of the year is going to be just before the new harvest. You have, uh, you know, you've, uh, you think of today where we can things and different stuff like that. I don't, but people do that. Uh, and you run out and you're getting ready to the, uh, to do your next batch. You've run out of a lot of what you have before. So this was the same type of thing. They would be celebrating uh, when a harvest would come. Uh, but the Lord said, hey, I want you to do something before you eat of it, before you celebrate, before you put it in the barn, before you sell it, before you do anything. I want you to take that first sheath, that first part of it that you harvest and offer it to the Lord. That's what he wanted them to do. Offer that first fruit to the Lord. And one of the purposes is to show the Lord thankfulness for the harvest. It, it's not Baal uh, that brought the rain. It's not some, uh, you know, made up idol or anything else that brought the fruitfulness from the ground. It's the Lord. He's the one that brings the increase. He's the one that brings the harvest. Uh, and here's the, th the other lesson you can think about uh, is when it comes to the Lord, he deserves our first and our best. You know, whether it's the harvest or whether it's anything, he deserves the first before or anything else. So you think about this man in the story in verse 42. He's got the first fruit, so it's harvest time. He's taken the first part, uh, and he's about to offer it, right, to the Lord. But remember, Leviticus says he needs to take it to the priest to where the temple's at in Jerusalem. But notice something, he doesn't do that. He didn't take it to the priest. He didn't take it to Jerusalem. Uh, he took it to uh, where Elisha was at, was in Gilgal. Uh, so you think about why, why did he do that? Or why didn't he do what Leviticus 23 is asking? And I, I think there's two things. I, uh, you know, sometimes you get into things in the Bible and you got people arguing over either way. Uh, but really it could be both reasons. Uh, but one of the reasons a lot of people say is that this time, uh, you know, around before this time and after this time, so you're guessing during this time, there was a lot of Baal worship. Remember, there's a lot of Baal worship. And even though Elijah calls down fire uh, from the Lord on Mount Carmel uh, and got rid of all those uh, Baal worshipers, uh, you know, it doesn't take too much later where another king has to do the same thing and knock out all the Baal worshipers again and all the priests and all that. Why? Because they just came back, right? They had new ones. They, uh, so some people say, well, this Baal worship had uh, kind of infiltrated Jerusalem and the temple uh, and everything else. So he doesn't want to bring his first fruits and offer it to someone who's then going to offer it to an idol. You know, so that's what some say. And then the others will say, well, uh, the other reason is uh, he's, they're up in Israel and Jerusalem's down in Judah. And this may have been one of the times where you really couldn't cross over from the one side to the other. They weren't uh, as friendly as this time. And again, I can't find an exact reason. Uh, and, and it might be one of those two. It might be both of those two, or it might be something totally different. Uh, but one thing I know uh, is he doesn't follow God's instructions but God blesses it. 
So that tells me uh, something in these situations that uh, it, it tells me that God is okay with whatever he has done. So there, I believe there must have been a reason for it. But you think about that, whether it's not crossing over because of kind of the civil war between them or uh, because Baal worship is infiltrated, either one of those or, or you know, option C, whatever that is, uh, whatever the reason he didn't take it to Jerusalem, that could have been an excuse. I think that's the important part right there. He could have used that as an excuse and said, you know what? I'm supposed to follow what Leviticus 23 says. I'm cutting the first sheaf, but I have nowhere to take it to. I can't do what I'm supposed to do. So why don't I just skip it? Right? Isn't that what happens a lot of times? I can't do exactly what it says. I can't get there. They're not truly worshiping the Lord at the temple. So I just won't give the offering to the Lord this year. Right? That's what a lot of people do. Right? And you're thinking, well, are you sure about that? Well, uh, every once in a while when we have to cancel church because of a snow day, uh, and then we come back the next Sunday after, uh, the offering isn't always double, right? I mean, some people bring it in from the, but it isn't always double because I think some people think, well, uh, we had a day off from church. So then anyway, it's the same thing, right? It's the exact same thing. Anyway. But you think about verse 38. We didn't read this, but a few verses earlier. And Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land. There was a famine going on. And in fact, I think it's in a couple chapters later, we find out it was a seven-year famine going on. So this dearth was going on. So what that means is food is scarce, right? In a famine, you, you don't have enough water. You can't grow uh, crops. Food is scarce. So you think about this, if this man uh, has a successful harvest of any size, it's worth more than it would have been any other year, right? In a famine, that food is worth more. That harvest is worth more, whether it's grain or whatever else, he could have gotten a premium. So which makes it an even tougher thing to do. And here's the other thing during a famine he could have used the excuse and said, you know what? Normally I would offer my first few fruits, but it's a famine. It's so much more precious this year. We're going to keep it this year so we can feed people, right? Any of those things could happen. And in fact, it's so bad. The previous story, I didn't read this, but the sons of the prophets were gathering basically whatever wild plants and vines they could find. And they were throwing them all together in this stew. And they were hoping that once you mix it all up and put it in there, it would come out with something they could eat. And remember, one of them starts to take, uh, uh, let's see, one of them starts to, let's see. They're shredding them in verse 39. They're pouring it out there and they're eating it. And verse 40 says, oh, thou man of God, there's death in the pot and they could not eat thereof. It was so bad. Literally, I mean, can you imagine just going out to the woods, trying to cut whatever stuff you can, put it in a pot, cook it and hope you could get some. That's how bad the famine was. So for him to have a literal harvest of actual things, that was a big deal. That was a big deal. So they were desperate for food and they would have had to throw it out in the story before had not uh, Elisha through a miracle of God miraculously healed, you know, that poisonous stew. So let's go back to verse 42. 
There came a man from Baal Shalisha and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, and full ears of corn and the husk thereof. And he said, Give unto the people that they may eat. So here's this man. We don't even know his name. He travels, he knows where the prophet's at. He knows Elijah was in Gilgal a lot. He knows Elisha's there. He knows there's a school there that they're learning. Basically, that religious school is there. He knows he can find them, and he wants to bring a blessing to the Lord through the prophet. And remember, he doesn't follow the letter of the law in Leviticus 23. But I'll tell you what he does do is he follows the spirit of the law. Amen? And because of that... Because he's following the spirit of the law, uh, you know, then the Lord actually blesses it. I'll give you an example. Because we run into this. Sometimes I've ran into this uh, in banking over the years. Remember, they, they create a, they try to make things fair through rules. And it's very hard to do that. Right? You can't, you know, God says, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's it. That you will treat people fairly if you love someone as yourself. Amen. That's it. But this world can't use the Bible. So they have to come up with their own rules. And, uh, you know, you come up with a rule of fairness and say, well, uh, if I do this uh, to you and you uh, and you and I do the same thing, then it, that means it's fair. Well, and then come to find out there's a way if I do follow that rule, it really isn't fair at all. You could say I followed the letter of the law, but I didn't follow the spirit of the law. Have you ever ran into that before? Yeah. Companies are good at that, right? They'll follow the letter of the law yeah. and then really burn you, right? Yeah. And it's not nice and it's not really a good thing that they do, but they can always go back and say, well, I did what the rule said. Yeah. Or I didn't break the law. This guy did the opposite. He said, I'm not going to just robotically follow this. And give it to a priest of Baal or whatever. But I'm going to make sure the Lord gets the first fruits. Amen. And at the time, there's Baal worship all around. There's all kinds of wickedness all around. I'm going to take it to a place where I know there's a man of God. And I know that there's others learning from that man of God. And there are people dedicating themselves to the Lord. I'm going to take it to them. And that, I believe, is why the Lord blessed it. Is that right there? So there's times where, uh, you know, and really today as a Jew, the temple's not there. So any of those things they're trying to do, they can't do any of that with the, where you would need the temple. <coughs> but see, they, they couldn't follow the letter of the law because of the circumstances. They followed the spirit. And then here's the thing. You're thinking, as I read this, what caught my eye in these three uh, verses was the fact that to me, when you first read it, it doesn't seem that special, right? When you read it, you're like, okay, he's got this crop. He, he's taken out the first fruits. He's given it to the prophet. It, I mean, isn't, why is that a big deal? Why would God spend even three verses talking about that? And it made me realize because other people were not doing this. Yeah, That's why it's here. Yes, we don't know his name, but this was an uncommon thing that he did. I guarantee, again, in the famine, most were saying, we got to keep this for ourselves. We can't afford to give any of it away. And you know what? I believe this is the same thing today. This is what the Lord needs. He needs men and women that are willing to serve him even in the famine. 
that are willing to trust him even in hard times. That's what he did. And follow the Lord's will, even if all of those around you are, are, are selfishly serving themselves or serving idols or false gods or anything else. We have got to do what, uh, what God said. And I was just thinking one of the things is, hey, uh, this is an example of doing right when everyone around us is doing wrong. And that's what happens a lot of times, isn't it? There, there is that pull for us to be conformed to this world and just do what everyone else is doing. When it comes tax time, you just do what everyone else is doing. No, no. You give Caesar what's due Caesar. Now, if Caesar lets you take write-offs, you take the write-offs. That's fine. But you don't cheat Caesar. And, and you go across all of the things in our lives. At, at work, if you, people are cheating the time clock, you don't do that. And it's just that simple. I know people around us. It seems like this world is so wicked and so everything. But I'm telling you what, it is not worth it to throw away your character with something minor. That's what these, a lot of these things are. You save a few dollars and ruin your character. It's not worth it. And the Lord's not going to bless that. But look at the. I call him the skeptical servant here. Verse 43. And a servitor said, what? Should I set this before a hundred men? You can, I mean, you can tell like he's, he's uh, that's not an honest question. He said again, give the people that they may eat for thus saith the Lord, they shall eat and leave thereof. You know what the servant's doing? He's counting the number of barley loaves, right? Counting what he got. And then he's counting heads, and I see it a hundred, probably more, you know. And he's saying, there's not enough here for enough people, right? That's simple. He's just counting it out. And here, I can't be too hard on this servant. I do the same thing. Amen? And guess what? The servant and me are in good company because 900 years after this, John 6 and 5 says, when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company coming to them, uh, he saith unto Philip, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? And he said, uh, he, he, and this he said to prove him for he knew himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. What happened? The servant, Philip, they get out their calculator and they say, hey, it's not enough. We got too many people, not enough food. All I do is I make a spreadsheet. That's the only difference. Come up with the calculations and that's it. There's not enough. Then I have to slow, hit the brakes because I, I have to remind myself that's not faith. That's math. Right? That's just math. Figuring it out. There's no faith to that. we got to trust God that he'll supply our need. Amen. Philip had to learn that lesson. I've had to learn it, but I'll, I'll get the calculator out again. Billy Baldwin used to say the Philip goggles. You put those Philip goggles on and you're just crunching numbers everywhere, right? Trying to figure out what it would take to do it, but that's not it. Uh, it's We have to trust in God. And you have to, if you're like me, you got to remind yourself of that over and over again. But we don't have to worry about it when the harvest is great, right? When it's plenteous, everything's fine. It's in the famine. 
Or when you're out in the middle of nowhere like Jesus was and there's all those, the 5,000, right? And they're uh, no, nowhere to eat and they're saying, well, send them, send them go into town and buy or whatever. And he's saying, no, what do we have? And Jesus was able to feed them. So the skeptical servant there, that's me in the story. And then verse 44, so he set it before them and they did eat and left thereof according to the word of the Lord. So they set the food before a hundred. They all ate. And when it says and left thereof, it's saying there was food left. That's what it's saying. Just like the baskets that were full after Jesus fed the thousands in each of those stories, there were baskets left over. There is food left over. And that's the thing. See, when, we, when you're crunching the numbers like the servant or even the, the one that didn't do what this man did and said, hey, I've got the first fruits. I can't even spare that first sheep uh, from the first fruits. I don't even know how big it is, but it, it doesn't seem like it's that huge. I can't even spare that because it's a famine. And what they're missing out on is if you take that and give it to the Lord, he fed a hundred with that, yeah. right? Just like the boy's lunch. If the boy would have kept his lunch, he would have ate that day instead of the thousands would have eaten. But that's the question. What are you going to do? Because in the famine, it's hard to give it to the Lord. But that's what we've got to do. No matter what time it is, famine or, or good time or bad, we've got to give it to him. Why? Because our Lord, he's not a Lord or he's not a God of addition, Right? He's a God of multiplication. He's always been that way. Food's so precious. We got to save it to feed hungry people, right? That would be an excuse. Yet God was able to feed a hundred with no problem. But then it made me wonder, how much of this are we missing out on, right? How much are we missing out on because Uh, whether we're in a famine time, whether you're in a trial time or not, I'll tell you one thing, we are surrounded by wickedness every side. How much are we missing out? And I'm not just talking about giving in the offering. I mean, that's part of it, but giving of your time, you know, and and, and serving and, uh, uh, you know, even being, assembling yourselves together and all sorts of different things. What are we holding back on? What are we saying? You know what? Uh, It's just time is too precious. And really the devil can do it. He can use a certain time of life and say, hey, your kids are young. Don't you can't give that time to the Lord. Your kids are young. But guess what? He'll do that later in life, too. Hey, you're retired. You can't spend that time with the Lord. Now it's finally time to spend it on yourself. Right. He'll do it for every time of life. And are we dedicating Things to God and the good times and the bad. Amen. Are we doing these things? Because God showed a miracle that day from a man. We don't even know his name. But he did something uncommon that day that blessed a whole big group of people. And I guarantee it blessed him, him as well. I guarantee God blessed him. Amen. And here's the other thing. How does someone even get a harvest in a famine anyway? I'll tell you how. Because God knows what's going to happen down the road. And I think sometimes he doesn't give a harvest in a famine if he knows you're not going to give part of it back to him. See, we can't think like that. Our, our minds think chronologically. God doesn't. He's not like that. He just wants us to hand it over to him.
Give it to him. Let him multiply it. And I know when he's, when I've done that in my life, and this is not a health and wealth message, but I'll tell you one thing. My life has been better than every time I've given myself to him. I've been in the center of his will. He's made my life better than I could have made my life focusing entirely on my life. He's done better. And I believe we can take an example from this unknown man who said, I'm going to do right even when those around me won't. And I'm going to give it to God. And all these groups would eat. And this is one of the many miracles that we see. And the blessing is if you count, it's been a while since I've done it, but I have it somewhere. If you count the miracles that Elijah did, and then you count the miracles of Elisha, remember he prayed for a double portion of spirit. Elisha, at the end of his life, is one miracle short of doubling. And then they bury him. And later on, there comes uh, this band, and I don't remember exactly the story, but they have a dead guy. And then they see these marauders coming, or basically something like that. And they see this cave, and they throw the dead body in the cave, and they're going to run. And as soon as that dead body touches Elisha's bones, he comes back to life. And that's the last miracle needed to double it. So even after he died, the Lord's still using him. And a lot of these miracles are strange. You read some of it, like I think coming up next is the axe head floating, you know, and different things like that. But it just shows you God can do anything. Amen. And he's a miracle working God. And he's a multiplying God. But he wants us to be faithful and to trust him.